Hey everyone, just want to apologize in advance for, for the audio quality for this podcast. Unfortunately, this microphone wasn't connected while I was recording. I thought it was connected, but it wasn't connected. So the audio quality is um, slightly worse because I was using sort of my headphone microphone and sort of my actual professional microphone. Uh, nonetheless, I, I really enjoyed the podcast episode. I, I thought the discussion was too good to not upload it anyways. Uh, apologize. Hope you did enjoy. Comes in, we're getting near that period and it, I think it's going to be more exciting than any other year because the table is so jam-packed barring the Sunrises, Hyderabad, Kolkata Knight Riders and Delhi Capitals. Every other team has got at least five wins. That's seven teams with minimum of ten points. You have two teams at eleven points to your washout and that's going to be interesting how that washout comes in and then you have the Gujarat Titans on twelve points. So seven teams have five wins. But only three of them are differentiated from the rest, which means four teams are stuck on five wins and ten points exactly. So that run rate seems like it's going to be big. <clears throat> Mumbai Indians and RCB. We'll start off from the top of week five. We're going to start off with Lucknow Super Giants as Kings 11. Um, not Kings 11, but almost Punjab Kings. 257 runs. Let's focus on Kyle Mayers. The success of Kyle Mayers is an extraordinary bonus for Lucknow. Their expectations of Mayers was to hold, ultimately, yeah, the reason they played Carl Mayers was so he could just hold his own or Quinton de Kock was playing for South Africa. But he has performed so well that Quinton de Kock must be kept out of the side. And now we're nearing, like, what, Lucknow have played five wins, four losses, and, and a washout, I believe. So they played ten games. They played, um, basically, close to 75% of the season. And Quinton de Kock has not played a game. That is, I think, I think it's actually valid to argue that that's dreamland for Lucknow. To have a player like Quinton de Kock sitting on the bench due to the merit of the player who has replaced him must mean that player is doing very well. And if a player is doing very well, that means that is a dreamland. I, I feel like they can fit in both, if I'm being honest. Um, I do think there is a solution in which Quinton de Kock can play. It would require dropping Naveen Luck. I think for an Indian bowler, and then Quinton, um, Quinton de Kock, Carl Mayers, and Rahul make up the top three. Especially now that KL Rahul is injured. Um, obviously, this is these notes were written while the games were going on to so Lucknow Punjab, and then they had the Lucknow RCB game where KL Rahul got injured, and then they had the Lucknow Chennai game where KL Rahul did not even play. So Kyle Mayers and Quinton de Kock could be a very valid solution. Um, for the opening pair, yes, it would require dropping Naveen Luck, and that's harsh because Naveen Luck has been has been absolutely splendid. He's he's been, he's been amazing. He has um, he's been better than Mark Wood in, in my opinion. And Mark Wood obviously got that five far ever since then. He he sort of faded away. Naveen Luck has been consistent, and I think the sort of the, the slowing natures of the pitches around India um, as the season progresses and uh, the weather sort of gets hotter is helping Naveen Luck out. Um, but it's something they can think about. But uh, against the Punjab Kings, Mayer showed exactly why Quinton de Kock was is out of the side. Um, it was an innings of pure clarity and devastation. Uh, Mayer seems to have a very simple mindset. He just sees the ball and he hits the ball. But it would be unfair to say that he does it through brainless slogging. No, he hits through the line with crisp timing and power. Punjab probably bowled a bit too short to him. And when they looked to correct it, they went too full. The ill-discipline with the front foot didn't help either with uh, Gurnal Bra um, giving up, I think, one or two free hits to, to Kyle Mayers. But to put Kyle Mayers' sort of success into perspective, he strikes 160 and has scored 297 runs, the most for any LSG battle. 
these stats were at the time of the Punjab Kings and Lucknow game. That is ridiculous. That, that is a high volume of runs. Top 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 five to seven in the league. Um, maybe even more. I don't have the updated standings in front of me. Striking 160. For a top order battle, definitely probably up there. Faf probably has a higher one than him. Um, maybe Yashasvi Jaiswal. No, 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 probably not, because Jaiswal does tend to slow down in the middle sometimes. But yeah, those are ridiculous numbers. And uh, it's also the highest of any Lucknow banner, as I said, which means if there is anyone to be dropped, it can't be Kamehameha, because he's, he's carrying that lineup. Um, however, if there is any chink in the armor, it, it seems to be against the slow bowlers, especially fingerspin. This season, he's been out to Moeen Ali, Akshar Patel, Harpreet Bra, and Ravi Chandran Ashwin. I think there's a trend there. To get to 257, though, it can't just be one man going insane. I mean, to be fair, in that RCB Pune Warriors game when they made 263 and all of RCB Twitter went into frenzy and they went into frenzy in this game as well because they thought that their record was going to be beaten. Um, it was just Chris Gale who made 170 odd. Uh, so sometimes it can be. It can be one player who can do it, but Kameo's, in this case, did not get 170. He had probably probably even a better innings from Marcus Stoinis. Stoinis this season is actually quite refreshing to see because I felt like he lost his way a bit um, in, in the last year. Um, I think he did alright in the 2021 uh, T20 World Cup and I, I'd say okay. There, there were glimpses. I think he finished that game against South Africa. Um, uh, against Pakistan. Was he at the other end? He was at the other end, right? It was him and Matthew Wade against Pakistan. He had quite, quite, It was quite successful. Um, when Lucknow last year, he had, he had glimpses. I, I don't think he was as consistent as they wanted him to be. But yeah, he had glimpses. This year, he's been amazing, in my, in my opinion. There are still a, a few too many... Uh, soft dismissals, in my opinion, from Marcus Stoinis, and a few too many brainless dismissals, like yesterday, you know, when I say yesterday, this is recorded the 4th of May, so yesterday was Lucknow Chennai Super Kings, the washout game, he got out to, uh, a, a frankly, a beautiful away spinning ball from Ravindra Jadeja, um, but he sort of played completely against the nature of the turn, and he knew that this Akanda City wicket was turning miles, so you sort of have to play the turn, so that, in my opinion, is a brainless dismissal but Marcus Tonis has shown that he can produce good days more often than not and this was a, a devastatingly good day he could hit it everywhere but what's the, the salient feature of Stronis's innings is always what him hitting straight and he ultimately hit his way straight to 70 and Lucknow had 257 which was always going to be enough to win that match move on to the Golk of the Night Riders versus the Gujarat Titans Rahmanullah Garbaz in sports, there is often a debate between what should take precedence and what determines whether a player is good or not. The eye test, um, which is essentially how a player's technical game looks in the eye, um, how aesthetically pleasing they are to watch, essentially, and sort of the the converse argument. I, I don't. I would. I think. I don't think it's accurate to say it's, it's a converse argument. I think the eye test and statistics can can work together. JJ Redick. Um, is a primary example of that for, for any NBA fans listening to this. Um, nevertheless, the, the other side being statistics and quantitative effectiveness. I think Gurbaz is definitely a player that passes the eye test. He can cut, he can drive, he can play down the ground, he can flick, and it all has a very simple, elegant ease to it. And I think that has to just come down to how stable his batting technique is. It's going to be interesting to see what Gorka the Night Riders do when Jason Roy returns. What I hope they would do is that they drop Jagadishan and they look to open with um, and Lagurbaz and Jason Roy. For that, obviously, uh, they have to free up an overseas lineup spot, so they may have to drop um, David Visa or, or Sunil Narayan. 
I would actually be bold uh, drops in on the Ryan because I think David Reese has a few few sort of specialist skill sets that can help the Kolka the Night Riders. He can he can finish innings the last few overs and you can get a few overs out of him. Obviously, Sunanda Ryan has, has a very sort of um, out there specialist skill set, which is he's going to give you four four overs. Um, and for most of his career, 95% of career, there have been four overs which rank amongst the world's best. But this season, Sunanda Ryan has been supremely disappointing. His economy has been over nine in the past four of his five matches. <coughs> Sorry, uh, a stat unheard of for as consistent a bowler as Narayan. So that, that's something I think the, the, the Kolkata Knight Riders have to have to consider. Let's focus on Rinku Singh, and I, I think Rinku Singh has been amazing this season. Yeah, uh, I think his finished games. Obviously, we have that one game that we're never going to forget. He's um, scored a high volume of runs. Um, usually coming in with the Kolkata Knight Riders are in, in a tough situation. I think back to the Kudrat game. I think that that first RCB game. Um, I even think back to that. Um, game where he made 50, I think it was against Punjab, and Punjab has got a high, high, high total. Um, the, the, there's been quite a few games where he's, he's, he's tried to save KKR as well as he can. However, if there is something that he needs to work on, I feel like Rinku Singh needs to work on, on pacing his innings from the start. He can start slowly. He was 14 of 14 versus RCB, 7 of 11 versus Gujarat Titans, 13 of 14 in the second game against Gujarat Titans, so 7 of 11 was the Yashtayal game, and 13 of 14 was the game that we're discussing right now. And Wiley has been supreme in finishing the innings this year, and he, he, could, he could do it. Like, he could start off 13 or 14, end up finishing 50 or 30, and we'd call that a positive impact knock. There are still elements that have to be analyzed in that 13 or 14 start, because banning first, you have to be able to sustain the pace. Chasing, you can get away with 13 or 14 if you end up doing that 50 of 30, and that 50 of 30 helps in winning your team the match. If you're 13 or 14, contributed to a team slowing down and the run rate getting way out of hand, and then therefore the team lost, then obviously that 13 or 14 is unacceptable. No, regardless of what you get. However, um, batting first, I think the 13 or 14 becomes hard, hard to accept in any situation except, except a situation where you sort of need to consolidate. Because batting first, as I said, you have to sustain pace. You don't know what is enough, so you need to just keep sustaining pace to get as much as you want, ultimately maximize your resources to uh, try and bat the opposition out of the game uh, as much as possible. And Rinku Singh uh, at times struggles to do that. However, uh, I think ultimately the sort of the positive, the thesis to make out of Rinku Singh's season is, is a positive one. Shuman Gill. In cricket, as, as you progress up the levels, just like any sport, the margin for error um, decreases. At club level, in-swinging half volleys may be too good for the batters. At representative level, they may be easier to be blocked. At state level, a few will smack them away. At international level, you see the likes of Shuman Gill. Any international player should hit these half volleys away. But what stands out with Shubman Gill is his thumping arrogance in the way he hits the bad balls away. That thumping arrogance resonates in the mind of the bowler. It is devastating. Not many in world cricket can provide that feeling. I think Kolkata bowled too short and too wide to him, but the cracking sound of the bat and the velocity at which the ball reached the boundary was breathtaking. If Gill works hard to iron out any technical chinks and has a strong mindset during batting slumps, there is no reason he can't go on to dominate world cricket for the next 10 years. However, as I said, it's about that strong mindset. It's about a a very stable temperament and a a, a sort of supreme focus and concentration. I think sometimes Subrashoman Gill lacks that supreme focus and concentration. Let's focus on his dismissal against Kolkata Knight Riders, then we'll even talk about his dismissal against the Delhi Capitals. 
When Sherman Gill got dismissed against the Cold Cat the Night Riders, Gujarat needed 86 runs and 52 balls, a run rate around 9, hovering close to 10. It didn't call for the shot he played. What was the shot he played? An extravagant heave after char charging down and got not getting anywhere near the pitch. Narayan held the length back as he knew charging down the track was a salient feature of Gill's approach to tackle him. He had done it on, on numerous occasions in, in the previous balls. After just losing Hardik and consisting of a middle of the primary finishers who come into their prime selves after the 14th over, Gill didn't need to bat slow but to keep playing through the line with the same elegance and approach would have been fine. To have a wild heave was needless. Against the Dilly Capitals, half volley, a very packed ring, which was, I, I think, good. I think should, the team should do that against Shubman Gill. Just pack that ring. You have to go over us. You can play these devastating ground shots. Can you go over us? He can. To be fair, he can. He, he's good enough to go over you. In this case, he didn't try to go over, but he sort of just hit it for the sake of hitting it. It didn't seem like there was a deliberate intention to go over the fielder. He just saw the half volley and just hit it straight to the cover fielder. And it, it was a brainless shot, to be fair. And a player like Shuman Gill's caliber needs to avoid these sort of dismissals because these are bad balls which he can punish with his eyes closed. He doesn't deserve to get out to these balls. He is getting himself out. And that's how the greats sort of become greats. They punish bad balls for so long, innings after innings after innings. And ultimately they become obviously sort of eye test warriors, but statistical warriors. Like they're statistical greats. Those are the likes of Virat Kohli, Sachin Tendulkar, Ricky Ponting, etc. And I definitely think Shuman Gill has, has talent to get close to sort of world cricket domination. It's just about sort of avoiding some of these dismissals. Let's now focus on Chennai Super Kings with the Punjab Kings. Jitesh Sharma for India colours, anybody? Anybody? His skill set is unbelievable. Only two Indian players, and this stat sort of came up when he got 2,000 T20 runs against Mumbai Indians last night. But only two Indian players with more than 2,000 T20 runs have a higher strike rate than Jitesh Sharma. One is probably the world's best T20 batter, Surya Kumar Yadav. The other one is Prithvi Shaw. Jitesh's strike rate is 150. His striking ability down the ground is amazing. That sort of half track or back of the length ball he can hit that straight and that is probably one of the most dangerous shots to have in t20 cricket faf duplessis has a similar shot that he's sort of added to his game this year to hit that back of the length ball straight it takes away many factors it takes away factors such as longer square boundaries it takes away factors such as square outfielders uh, midwicket cow corner etc um and uh it can also sometimes negate sort of the pace of the pitch um, obviously, if the, if the pitch isn't true, then hitting down the ground straight um, off the back of the length is hard. But um, just able to hit the ball straight in general is going to ensure that you also avoid fielders like mid-on and mid-off um, due to mishits. And it, it's an integral part of his game. The, the way Jitesh Sharma plays, it, it's, it's a highly selfless way of playing. At times, you will get unlucky. You will miscue a few balls. And with the way he plays, it will be easy to go through a patch with low scores. At that stage, it would also be easy for him to look and say, let me just get a 20-25 and sure, I stay in the team and look to play myself in the form. But not for Jitesh. He wants to play one way. And he knows his skill set is better than most, most people in the rest of the competition when he executes that one way. So he sticks to it. He should keep sticking to it. Because I don't think the selector should be ignoring you anytime soon. Jitesh Sharma seems, seems ready to dump the Indian colours. Devin Conway for the Chennai Super Kings. His consistency has been remarkable.
92 against the Punjab Kings. He always hit 8 of 16 against Rajasthan, not, not the greatest knock. Before that, 77, 83, 56, 50. I think he had one one bad knock in the middle of that. So his last of his, uh, I think last out of his last six or seven knocks, he scored five fifties. That is remarkable consistency, and he's doing it um, in conditions which are still foreign to his skill set. I, I think Devin Conway probably plays the best in India out of any New Zealand player uh, because he he's quite good against spin. He's able to use his feet. He's able to get in the back foot. Um, and against pace, we know he has a full repertoire, and this year has even sort of come out as a 360-degree repertoire. I think Devin Conway is going to be the main man, and I think he has to be the main man for New Zealand in the Cricket World Cup later this year. Kane Williamson looks like he'll be ruled out with that unfortunate ACL injury that he suffered in the, in the first game in the opener against Devin Conway's Chennai at, at Narendra Modi Stadium in the IPL opener. So Devin Conway looks like he's going to be the main man for New Zealand. He's going to produce, have to produce Kane Williamson-esque numbers like Kane Williamson did in 2015-2019. I think he genuinely has the skill set to do it. Is Devin Conway as good as Kane Williamson? I think it's an irrelevant debate to have. Can Devin Conway produce the numbers that Kane Williamson could have in 2015-2019? I think he can, yes. And I think he has to, to be fair, if New Zealand to go deep in the tournament. It's going to be very exciting to watch. Let's look at Matisha Paterana. For his unique, uh, for, for his unique technique and as unproven as a, a player as Matisha Patirana is, his ability to stay calm and composed and poised to execute his best ball is commendable. It reflects highly of how potent his skill set is. His skill set is. If MS Dhoni is giving the pressure over his game after game, if MS Dhoni and Stephen Fleming are dedicating an overseas spot to you, despite being a relatively unproven international talent, then there has to be something about you. And I think there is something about Matisha Patirani. He has a great Yorker, he has a great change of pace, and he reads the game very well. Against Punjab, he could have kept going Yorker, kept going Yorker, but he was realising that that pitch was starting to slow down a bit. Same thing happened in the first innings. So he went back in the length, he, went, he took the pace off, he bowled to his field. Most more importantly, he stayed calm to keep executing his best balls. Let's look at that, that, that finish. The second the Razal was a strike, Matisha Patirani was bowling, Punjab needed 3-1, um, 2 to tie, to win. It was interesting to observe Sikandar Raza before that last ball was bought. He shattered bad at the shot that he played to win the game. The heave of a square leg. He had realised that there was no square leg or, or sort of fine leg back and that if he goes over, he's most likely going to get a boundary or even enough to run three. I, I think it was, a, it was a courageous tactic. Most batters would have just tried to hit and hit sort of between the gap um, of the outfielders and it would have gone for two, and they would have guaranteed the tie. They wouldn't have lost the game. But Sikandar Raza was looking for the win. That sort of shadow batting and visualizing the shot that you're going to play. Um, Virat Kohli, he did a similar visualization in the historic India vs. Pakistan game, when it was 22 of 7, after he just hit one of the greatest shots in cricket history, probably, of Haris Ralph. He was pumping himself up for one more six. And he played that shot with a fine leg before Ralph ran in. He knew that this was something he could do. Use the pace. What followed was the exact same shot that he had just shadow batted. Clarity in the options seems to go a long way. Coming back to that last ball, I, I do think it was a poorly executed ball from Patirana. It's a shame. He executed 3.5 overs very well. The fourth, uh, the, the last ball uh, was probably his worst. He, the Yorker seems the best weapon. Uh, so I, I think he probably should have been maybe him stuck to that. But I, I think to change a pace to go back at the length was not a bad option. But with that field, he, he went too straight. And I, I don't think it was, it was what him and Mahindra Singh Dhoni had planned together. Let's move on to Mumbai versus Rajasthan. I want to focus on Joss Butler's rhythm. 
It's been a few innings in this IPL since I think Joss Butler has looked anywhere near his best. His last five scores have been 0 of 5, 40 of 41, 0 of 2, 27 of 21, and 18 of 19. I don't think it's alarming or worrying signs for Rajasthan just yet because this man has been one of the best T20 players in the world over the past few years. He's been one of the most consistent and he can also be one of the most devastating. So I think um, Rajasthan will, will back him to come back. But it is valid to argue that his rhythm has seemingly been paralyzed or stifled. The ease and clarity in his power play batting is something that is, uh, that is glaringly weak right now. A man who has made pickup shots so easy is struggling to pick anything up at this stage, and I think that's sort of a narrative to watch or a player to watch. Piyush Chawla. Many a commentator have called Piyush Chawla's wickets with the phrase "roll back the years." I think it is safe to say that he has already rolled back the years. Piyush Chawla's consistency this year is unreal. He has got a wicket. Eight consecutive games. It was seven in the Rajasthan game, but he also got two yesterday. Now he has, I think, fifteen wickets. And to get a wicket in eight consecutive games is the first time he has done so in his IPL career. What is fascinating to sort of analyze and see with Piyush Chabla is the distribution between uh, the amount of wickets that he gets with his with googlies and traditional leg spinners is almost even. I think googlies was 40% and traditional leg spinners was 36%, something like that. Um, not the exact stat, but, but something like that. I think a lot of that, uh, to sort of justify why his googlies and his leg spinners are, are both sort of equally effective, it has to be put down to his immaculate line and length. He is Mumbai's control bowler. When there is chaos ensuing with their paces, which happens every game, they can count on Piyush Sharma to have intricate off-stop lines at perfect length. With his ability to turn it both ways, if he stays consistent, he's bound to be successful, and he's staying consistent. Mumbai's ill-discipline with the bowling is, I think, something that could potentially just cost them this season, because they, I think they have a batting lineup. I think there's a valid argument that a very good question to ask if Mumbai Indians have the best batting lineup in the IPL. Uh, I'm going to sort of focus on that later on. I, I think they might, honestly. But I think similarly, in a similar way, they, they might have the worst bowling lineup in the IPL. Probably maybe behind Korka and the Knight Riders. Um, but even Korka and the Knight Riders have their days because of how good their spinners can be. Against Rajasthan, the, the, the bowling was just so ill-disciplined. 16 wides, 7 no balls. That is 23 extra runs. Essentially, due to extras, the total has gone from a, a, a score and range of around 100 and, 190 to 195 to a score of 210. So it's gone from a, a target that, honestly, you'd say Mumbai is ahead. In Mumbai, if Rajasthan make 190, you're going to say Mumbai going to win that game with how good that batting is. You, you back Mumbai to win that game, at least. With 210, you'd still say Rajasthan ahead because 210, no matter how good your band lineup is, a lot of things have to go right for you to chase it. And I know Mumbai chased it twice in a row, which I think just shows testament um, to how good the band lineup is, and sort of highlights why why that needs to be discussed. How high how, how high can we rate this Mumbai Indians batting lineup? But yeah, that 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 was shocking. It probably is not acceptable to have that level of ill discipline at this level. Yashasvi Jaiswal. I've talked about Yashasvi Jaiswal at great length before. I've always admired the clarity and belief in his game, stemming from the hard work and the practice he has done. This knock was next level. It was remarkable. It wasn't just execution of skills. It was execution of skills to the level that no one could get you out and no fielders mattered. There were always gaps for him. The knock that always reminds me of sort of a sensation where a player is just find, able to find gaps no matter what the captain does is Virat Kohli versus Australia, Mohali. I think Kohli's second best rated T20 innings. It was first before he pulled off the MCG juggernaut. 
No matter what field there was for him, it would always be pierced. The wide Yorker squeezed through the point and color region. Jay Swartz not remind me of that. One of the best ever. One of the best in a long, long time. Yoshisui Joswell clearly has world-class talent, but there has to be a mindset that complements and enhances such talent. I believe Joswell also possesses that. I know I have to practice to play the shots that I play. When I scored my 100, it was really special as I realized that this is what it is, what it is like. Now I need to look forward. These are some of the quotes from Yoshisui Joswell in, sort of uh, in the mid-innings interview after his 100. This mindset highlights the determination and sort of shows the determination he has to be the best at what he does. It is kind of determination that everyone desires, but it's harder to maintain than anticipated. Failures bring you down. Certain performances may middle you. But Jay Swal has always kept that goal in mind. It reflects the maturity, and as a result of his maturity, the resultant work ethic. He understands that arrogance and excessive self-confidence doesn't achieve his goal to be the world's best. He must work for it. But you do have to be confident that you can reach the pinnacle at some stage. He displays all of that. Having listened to a lot of Jay Swan's media for a piece I had written about him a few weeks ago, he made similar points. It seems to be a concrete and clear mindset. Ultimately, it was a shame for Rajasthan that such a great knock, one of probably the all-time knocks, was not enough. Mumbai Indians chased down 214. I want to say with ease, I think against Punjab, probably made it look pretty easy in the end. But this one was definitely Mumbai winners to an extent. I think Ishan Kishan Start off a bit slow. Cameron Green was, was alright. I think I think he played pretty well. I don't think he was at his fluent best, but he, he played a good knock. Surya Kumar Yadav, video game Surya Kumar Yadav. Tim David, that's who I want to focus on. A few years ago, Tim David in the off-season in Perth, he essentially changed his game and just conducted a whole off-season on building his body to be a hitter, training in the cricket nets to be a hitter. So I think there needs to be a discussion uh, I think there has to be a discussion on whether hitting is a skill that should be given equal respect as a sort of developing a technique in the nets would be. And most, most, most people, most sort of cricketing fans make the argument that to be a good hitter, you need to have a stable technique. You need to have good technique. I don't think that's true anymore. I think if, Tim, if you put Tim David in the test arena, is he going to succeed? I, I don't think there's any evidence to suggest that he, he will because he still sometimes struggles on pitches that are ranked turners. Um, he hasn't really shown any evidence of how he can play in swing bowling. To be fair, he doesn't have to show that evidence because he doesn't come in when the ball is moving. But the fact that this specific hitting practice, this specific sort of fitness routine dedicated to a hitter has turned him into probably the, the world's best hitter at the stage, highlights that developing your hitting skills, I think, has to be given equal respect. To sort of highlight what Tim David did, he essentially sort of perfected his hitting art. He would have so much footage and he would watch so many other hitters to see what their batting arc was like. And he has sort of perfected his batting arc to such a precise nature that he's able to replicate it no matter what. And that's how he can produce such great shots. Yeah, it's almost like baseball shots. And he, he sort of structured his game similar to a baseball player because he realizes that that's what, how effective hitting is done. If you look at Glenn Maxwell, some of his shots are baseball shots. If you look at Jitesh Sharma, some of his shots are also baseball shots. And these hitters have these sort of similarities in mind. I think Tim David, uh, he was ultimately sort of the, the man that led Mumbaians home, and it was, it was a remarkable chase. Obviously poorly executed by Jason Holder. But yeah, it, it was a remarkable chase. Let's look at RCB with Lucknow. <laughs> a dramatic a dramatic rivalry it's turning out to be for, for a plethora of reasons. RCB knocked out LSG uh, last year. 
Game 1, you obviously had the famous Herschel Patel miss Mankad. You had Gotham Gambish shushing the fans of the Chinnaswami. You had Avesh Khan throwing his helmet in quite a comical fashion. Game 2, you had Virat Kohli and Naveen Luck on the field, off the field. You had Virat Kohli and Gotham Gambish off the field. You had Virat Kohli sort of giving back a few of the celebrations. Salient feature of Virat Kohli. I, I love to see it. It's great entertainment, to be fair. I'm going to focus on sort of the, the cricketing part of it, though. I think this pitch was a perfect pitch for anchors. Uh, sort of cricketing media, cricketing broadcasting, and probably I think just T20 World Cricket, uh, the, the T20 World Cricket sphere in general has probably settled on the narrative that anchor is not necessary in T20 cricket anymore. Or at least in 95% of situations, an anchor is not necessary in T20 cricket anymore. I think this, this pitch was probably that remaining 5%. I think this was the perfect pitch for an anchor. Rath Kohli, 31 and 30, Fafta Basit, 44 and 40, uh, RCB were, I think, 38 for zero after the power play. What were Lucknow? 31 for four. How did they get out? Hitting. All the, most of the shots were looking to go over the top with a pitch that is very hard to hit on the rise. And they got out. So I, I, I think the Akuna City pitch is a pitch that requires cricketing smarts. And I think Virat Kohli and Faf Tupasi showed that. And um, on the RCB content channel in the post-match video, Faf said that, yeah, we were just looking to take it as, as sort of deep as possible. And then at a stage, we were going to go when we realized that we had enough depth to see at the rest of the innings. They had a similar plan in that Mohali game against Punjab where they won as well. Kohli and Faf realized after the power play, the pitch was quite slow. So they thought that getting 170, 180 was going to be enough. But they realized that if they went now and they lost a few wickets, then a new batter starting is going to be harder for them. And then 170, 180 might be out of reach for them, especially with the sort of the, the fragile mid-order they have. So once again, they took it a bit deep. I'm not saying this is a is a plan that should always be replicated, but I think in Virat Kohli and Faftu Basu, you have two of the world's sort of smartest cricketers, I think. They have they're so experienced, they've read so many situations. And it sort of showed, you know, I think, how they treated this match uh, compared to how Lucknow treat, treated, treated their batting innings. I also think the inclusion of Josh Hazelwood makes RCB's bowling attack so much more controlled. It's sort of a, a double-edged sword with RCB. Their batting might sort of struggle on these slow tracks because of how sort of prone to spin bowling, how sort of weak to spin bowling they are. But their bowling is probably best suited for these slow tracks. Harshal Patel comes into sort of his his prime self with his plethora of slow balls. Siraj can still use a new ball. Um, the, the slow track probably nullifies Siraj's skill set the most. You have one of the world's greatest spinners um, currently in one of the Hasaranga. Karan Shoma is a great option you can have. You obviously have Shabazz Ahmed, Mahipal Lobrong, Glenn Maxwell who can give you spin options. Um, you have Vijay Kumar Vishak whose uh, best balls seem to be his back of the length and off pace deliveries. And then you have Josh Hazelwood who is just so, so controlled with his length. So on a slow track, he's almost near impossible to hit because of how good his length is. If he wants to include back, um, if he wants to hit back in the length, which is sort of a stop delivery anyways, but if he wants to hit back in the length, he'll be able to hit back in the length. So I see his bowling attack, especially on tracks like this, um, with Josh Hayden, looks so much more controlled, and I think we could really see them potentially going to run now um, to sort of cap off uh, this season. Let's focus on the final match now. Um... Mumbai versus Punjab last night. Mumbai have conceded over 200 in their last four games. Yes, we knew at the start of the season that Mumbai's bowling attack was one of the weakest in the tournament. Yeah, They had um, Jofra Archer, probably the only only standout name in their bowling attack. Arshad Khan, unproven. Arjun Tendulkar, unproven. Riley Meredith, good. IPL level, probably not. He's copped in the IPL. Um, Jason Berndorf, good. IPL level, once again, maybe not. Pierre Shavla. People are saying he's old. What has he done? Why is he playing? Rithik Shocking, unproven. Kumar Kartikya, 
promising, but once again, relatively unproven. I think Jafra's done well. Uh, sorry, I think I think Piyush Chabla has been the best bowler. Not not Jafra, beg your pardon. I think Piyush Chabla has been the best bowler. I think Ashut Danuga showed glimpses. Uh, I think he got dropped a bit harshly. I think Ashut Khan has, has not showed glimpses. I think he's, he's lost the plot too often. When he gets put under pressure, he loses all form of accuracy. Um, uh, I think there seems to be a, a sense of rawness with him. I think Akash Madhwal yesterday was quite promising. I know he went for like 39 and 3 overs, but he... He was trying to bowl Yorkers for most of his 18 balls, and he actually executed a lot of the time. Obviously, Yorkers, it's it's such a delivery that it's either going to go right or it's going to go horribly wrong. Jason Horn will find that out. Yeah, I think Akash Madhwal, there, there's something in him there. I think they should keep trying that one out. Um, I think Kumar Kartika, there's something there. I think he bowled pretty well yesterday. I think both the spinners bowled both great yesterday. But the issue becomes when your main bowler, the man you paid money for, the man you invested in a year which he was injured, He's continued to have off days. I think Jofra Archer's pace is up. I think his rhythm is up. It's shown in the last two games. He's bowled 150 on numerous occasions. Yesterday he bowled a devastating bounce up, 153, I think it was. But his last over was just showing a man who doesn't know what his game plan is right now. And I don't blame him. He hasn't played a consistent amount for so long that I think Jofra is a bit lost on sort of um, how to succeed at, at how to be the best. Um, because he, he should be aiming for that because he has a skill set to be the best. Um, and yeah, his last over yesterday went for over 20 and it, it led Punjab to 214. I think without Jafra's last over, it could have been 200 or less because I think Akash Madhwal was a pretty good last over. Um, I'll turn him down, so you probably say that it didn't cost him too much, but I think these you can't be considering over 200 every single game because your bang lineup cannot keep bailing you out. But Punjab definitely have a batting lineup that can keep getting over 200. They have the likes of Matthew Shaw, Jitesh Sharma, Sikandar Raza. I know he didn't play yesterday. Liam Livingston, Sam Curran, Shah Rukh Khan. And having all these players in the same squad just shows what their sort of philosophy and what their belief was in the auction. Just keep going. So what do they do in the auction? They built a squad that enables them to just keep going. At times it makes them look silly. But they have just become the first team to score over 200 in four consecutive matches in the IPL. Dublin's foil role... Um, so sort of the how Dovan sort of bats through and scores the volume of runs um, is interesting. It's sort of his sole responsibility. But even at a stage, he has to give way and go all out due to the depth they have. Like if you're in the 10th over and you're two down, you have people like Jitesh Shahrukh, Sam Curran waiting in the wings. Shikha Dovan can't keep playing that foil role. He has to go for it. And he sort of tried that yesterday as well. Um, Dazalytics on Twitter, some of the great, great statistical work on, on cricket Twitter, had a great distribution graph which showed that Punjab can get a lot of tools around 150, but they can also get a lot of tools over 200. Ultimately showing their go-hard philosophy, which on certain days can go wrong, but due to their squad this year, compared to last year, which we saw that philosophy go awfully wrong at times. But yeah, due to their squad this year, it is going right more often. Surya Kumar Yadav. Video game Surya Kumar Yadav, as, I, as, I've, as I've talked about earlier in this episode itself. Let's talk about 12.1. And 12.2. Sam Curran over the wicket. Um, probably balls a ball that's a bit too wide for the field he has because he has point and third man up um, and he's a deep cover back. So I think what he's trying to bowl is sort of good length and off stump and make Suri Kumar sort of hit it into the gap um, in that cover region. But he balls a bit wider. What does Suri Kumar do? 
First, he sort of gets his head over the top of the board and gets his elbow over the top of the board, but then he uses his bottom hand and wrist to sort of thread that ball and sort of direct its path over that point and third man, which are up, and it goes all the way for six. That is unbelievable wrist power, unbelievable core stability to even hit a shot like that. But when you hit a shot like that, the bowler's like, okay, if we can hit a ball like that for six in that region, I probably have to put a fielder back in that point. Third man region. So Sam Curran does. What does, Suryu, what does Sam Curran do? Ball a similar ball. What does Suryu Kumayama do? Move across, get his head outside the line of the ball, get his hands outside the line of the ball, and flick it over the fine leg. Similar ball. I think the first one was probably a bit wider, to be fair. The second one a bit straighter. But decently similar balls. And this man hits one over third man, over point, and hits one in the fine leg. It is impossible to bowl to him. How do you set a field to him? It is some of the most ridiculous skill set, skill display of T20 batting I've seen in the past few years from this man. Like, we, there's a reason we call him video game the other every game because he literally makes it look like a video game. It was amazing. Although I do think a lot of Mumbai Indian success has to be credited to them, of course. But I think the Punjab bowlers lacked a plan. To concede 116 runs within the space of eight overs is ludicrous. As I said, it was remarkable batting. But there didn't seem to be any way to sort of stop the flow of runs or even look to get the batters out. I think there was only one man who seemed to have a plan, and that was Nathan Ellis. In the power play to Cameron Green, it was, make, it was to make him hit long on the square boundary, on the longest square boundary. So he rolled back a length with pace off. With Surakuma Yadav, he initially tried to protect that sort of flick shot, that remarkable flick shot that it plays over 45. But then he went sort of a similar plan to Green. Pace off and make them hit square was the plan. It was the best option with the longer boundaries. How, what did he finish? 2 for 34 after 4 overs. It was great book. Did Ashdeep Singh and Sam Curran have the same, same plan? Hard to say yes. The lengths were too full and they were too wide at times to justify a hit square plan. At times I went for the Yorker and they missed. I don't blame them, blame, the blame them for that because when a Yorker is executed, regardless of sort of pitch, the ground dimensions, it's hard to hit. Yeah. But they didn't seem to have a backup plan when the Yorker went wrong. They just went off pace for the sake of going off pace but the lengths were sort of too full, sometimes too straight, and they, they got sent. Um, I think another example was the Tilak Voma cameo. After Suryukum Yadav and Shankishan got out, there was a slight nerves in the, in the Mumbainians camp. Like, Punjab was slightly sort of silent. I think Mumbai ahead, which sort of how good Tim David is. But so 10 over, two new batters. So Punjab had maybe like uh, a, a sort of a toe in the door, if you, if you like to say. But, once again, just bad execution. Tilak Verma is a batter who is well known to love the hitting arc coming, sort of when the ball is coming into him, so he, his hitting arc can go um, in the direction, sort of, of the, the leg side direction of, of the V. So you know how they say there's a batting V? Um, so Tilak Verma loves to hit in the, in the leg side portion of the batting V. So the plan would obviously be what? To make him drag it, <coughs> sorry, to make, it drag it from, make him drag it from the offside to the long square boundary, or to make him go square on the offside, Everything was straight to him. It could just be bad execution, but it was it was horrible bowling. I guess that's the conclusion we have to come to. So the last part I want to focus on is discussing whether Mumbai Indians have the best line lineup in the power, in the IPL. I think the contenders to that would be Rajasthan Royals and um, maybe Punjab Kings. I think RCB have three of the best players, but the middle order is too weak. I think CSK have have a few good players, but I, I think I, I think Mumbai and Rajasthan outweigh them in terms of sort of 
the, the devastating names and sort of the impacts these certain names can produce on the on their given days. So I'm going to focus on Mumbai and Rajasthan for now. I think I think Rohit Sharma and Ishan Kishan are, are a worse opening player than Joss Butler and Yashasi Jaiswal. That's probably common knowledge at this stage. And I think that's Mumbai's Indians chink in the arm, Rohit Sharma and Ishan Kishan. Um, Ishan Kishan on his day is amazing. But the issue is his day doesn't come often. And it's so frustrating. But yesterday, there just seems to be a certain pattern when Ishan Kishan is on. Oh, he's going well. He just stays so still and he seems so clear. He just wants to hit everything that's in his arc. When he's not on, he seems to complicate the game. He seems to sort of get bogged down too much. Um, he seems to block too much. He seems to have a lack of intent. I think that usually comes down to conditions. When the ball is moving, when the ball is sort of spinning a lot, Ishan Kishan sort of, um, I think, forgets what, what, what his primary skill set is. Rohit Sharma has not has averaged less than 25 in sort of the last few seasons. Rohit Sharma, I don't think, is in the consideration for uh, one of the best T20 batters. But if you look at the number three, Cameron Green, I think one of the best young T20 batters, and I think he's showing he's living up to his 15, 15 cover price track. Then they have Surya Kumayal, and I think one of the best T20 batters in the world. I think they have Dilak Verma, one of the best Indian T20 young batters. I think one of the best young batters in the IPL. They have Tim David, I think the best hitter in the IPL. They have Nihal Wadera, I think he's shown great promise as a young hitter. And then they have Jofra Archer, Piyush Chabal, who can also bat, so they've got depth as well, right? Um, and uh, did I miss someone? I, I may have also potentially missed someone. Um, Rajasthan, obviously Sanjay Samson, but Sanjay Samson, the issue is always consistency. He's probably uh, a better, a, a sort of a more consistent version of Ishan Kishan. On his day, devastating, but not as consistent. Um, David Bardigal, um probably does not compare to Surya Kumayadam in any way. Shimron Hetmeyer, um probably does compare to Tim David in terms of finishing stats, but if you're going to say who you, who you would pick to hit a six on Will, I'm going to say Tim David. Because as I said, he's built for the hitting game. He's literally constructed his game to hit. Um, Nihal Vadera compared to Dhruv Jurel, you probably said Dhruv Jurel. Uh, so, but Just Butler is struggling. Jashishi Jaiswal is great, sure. Uh, probably you'd say he has, a, he has more salient role than Dilak Verma, so he's probably going to make more of an impact than Dilak Verma. Um, probably also doing more than Cameron Green, and probably um, shown, shown sort of a better qualities than Cameron Green. But I think Mumbainians, their argument has to be made that Mumbainians might have the best batting lineup in the IPL. Sure, they might also have the worst bowling lineup in the IPL, but they, I think the argument has to sort of be had that they do have the best lineup, batting lineup in the IPL. Anyways, week five, that'd be it. Uh, I enjoyed this discussion. I hope you did too. As usual, I would always appreciate feedback um, uh, on this podcast, whether you reach out to me on Twitter, you email me, um, and also just just share the podcast around because the, the more traction this gets, the more motivation and sort of the, the more feasible it becomes to increase the frequency. I hope you enjoyed. See you next week.